Hello, and welcome to Runway Girl Network in Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RDN Deputy Editor John Walton, and today I'm in conversation with Jamie Freed, an American-Australian senior correspondent with Reuters, currently in Sydney. Jamie, welcome to In Conversation. Hi, thanks. I hear you have an exciting new role in Singapore planned. That's right. From July, I'm moving to Singapore to be Reuters Head of Aviation, Aerospace and Defence Reporting. Fantastic. So what are you doing in Sydney at the moment? In Sydney at the moment, I'm covering a bunch of industries, but also including aviation, which I covered for over three years at the Australian Financial Review before I joined Reuters last year. Fantastic. So Australia is this really, really unusual market for aviation, right? I mean, it's in this unique geographical position, which people often call the end of the world problem, right? Um, So tell us a little bit about what the changing perception of that has been, particularly as we now have Qantas doing non-stops to both, uh, you know, central US and soon to London. Yeah, the technology has really changed a lot of things for Qantas. Um, One of Qantas's big strategic problems has been the kangaroo route, which is flights from Australia to London, and they require a stop off somewhere. Uh, It's about 20, 21 hours in the air if you did it direct, and so usually it takes about 23 to 24 when you stop in Singapore, Hong Kong, KL, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Qatar. There's sort of an endless range of different options for stopovers, and that means that Qantas competes with a couple dozen carriers on that route, which makes it very, very difficult, especially since those other carriers are using their hubs for flights to and from everywhere, whereas Qantas's hub is in Sydney, which is very geographically isolated. So what Qantas is now trying to do is more direct flights. So they're, they're starting one next year from Perth to London, the first nonstop ever between um, Australia and Europe. And the idea is that they'll get a yield premium because people flying from Perth will no longer have to stop off somewhere else. And eventually, they're also going to have Sydney and Melbourne to London flights is the plan if they get the right aircraft technology. Right. And I mean, what I'm looking at, though, is I'm looking at the range numbers for things like the 7879. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to make those work for, for, for Qantas for going nonstop from Sydney. What aircraft are, are we going to need to look at for Sydney and Melbourne to London to be reality? Yeah, they're looking at the A350-900 ULR, which is the same one that Singapore Airlines is going to bring into service next year uh, to serve Los Angeles and New York nonstop from Singapore again, like they used to with A340s. And Qantas is also looking at the 777-8, but that's not going to be in service for about five years or so now. Okay, right. So Qantas has this uh, option for the future. What are some of the challenges that are currently facing Qantas, both domestically and internationally? In the domestic market, there's actually been pretty weak demand. A lot of corporate travel has gone downhill and government travel, and especially when the mining boom ended a few years ago, that meant there were no more big construction projects in regional areas. And so Qantas had to pull off a lot of capacity there. And they've redirected it instead to like leisure destinations in Queensland and also into Asia, where they've upped their flying to Singapore and Hong Kong on A330s. Um, In the international market, things have also been quite tough. Uh, As you see with airlines around the world, once the fuel price drops, the airlines thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to take advantage and get extra revenue by flying more or not retiring aircraft as early as they had expected or things like that. And that's led to a lot of competition, and that means yields have gone down significantly. Right. Now, in terms of the competition domestically, you've got Qantas and its low-cost carrier Jetstar, plus the Virgin Australia Group. 
Um, tell us a little bit more about what Virgin Australia looks like these days. So Virgin Australia has its own airline, um, which is uh, basically a premium sort of domestic carrier, all Qantas. And it also has Tiger Air Australia, which originally was owned by Singapore Airlines. And that's where the Tiger Air brand comes from. But now it's wholly owned by Virgin. And that's a budget carrier with a relatively small fleet. I think they're at about 13, 14 aircraft at the moment. And then plus they also have regional flying operations, just like Qantas does with Qantas Link. Yeah, so what we have in Australia is really a duopoly, right? So you've got your premium carrier with Qantas and Virgin, your low-cost carrier brand with Tiger Air and Jetstar, and then sort of regional bits around the side, both of which are operated by Qantas and Virgin, and then some other local players. Why do you think that this has worked um, in the Australian market, this idea of of a full-service carrier having its own low-cost airline, where it, it didn't for any of the US airlines that tried it and and it, it sort of has and sort of hasn't in Europe I think a lot of it's just the way that Qantas went about creating Jetstar I think at the time some of the US carriers like United and Delta had experimented with low cost carriers but when they created these low-cost offshoots, often their costs weren't actually any lower. They were just using the sort of same pilots and same aircraft and repainting the aircraft. And that meant that you were basically getting a cut in yields for being cheap and cheerful like Southwest, but you weren't, um, you know, having lower costs. And so that it just didn't work for them. Instead, they've kind of focused on um, farming out their regional operations to lower-cost players in the U.S. Um, In Australia, Qantas uh, with Jetstar, they decided that Qantas is headquartered in Sydney, so Jetstar should be based in Melbourne so that their management teams were physically apart. They also decided that Qantas flies 737s domestically for the bulk of their operations, so Jetstar should use A320s so that that way Qantas pilots couldn't complain about them bringing in Jetstar pilots on different conditions. So what they did was they really started an airline completely from scratch without any of Qantas's legacy cost base, and that really helped. Um, and they also targeted a different demographic. They targeted more the leisure routes first They didn't actually fly to Melbourne Airport. They flew to Avalon Airport, which is about an hour's drive away instead, following the sort of European model of secondary airports. Right. Now, of course, Australians have this real sort of visceral connection with Qantas, right? And that, that red kangaroo is a real national icon. Do you think that Australians give Qantas a bit of a pass in some ways as, as a result of it being the national carrier? No, I mean, I think Australians are particularly tough on Qantas, but they just care about Qantas so much. When you look at the sort of top 10 companies' names in the news every year, I think Qantas is always sort of in the top three. And it's just such an iconic iconic brand with the red kangaroo and everything that, you know, everyone has an opinion on it, whether it's good or bad, but it's it's such a talked about brand. And their frequent flyer program is just so dominant in Australia that Qantas points are really like the second currency of Australia and one third of all the credit cards used in Australia gather Qantas points. Yeah, that, that it, it's crazy to see just how just how dominant it is. And one of the things that always strikes me when I'm driving around Australia or wandering around Australian cities is a number of places that will either advertise that you can earn Qantas points or the advertising that Virgin is doing in order to offer velocity points at competing retailers. It always strikes me as, as significantly greater than than in other countries. 
that's one of the been that's probably been one of Qantas's great successes is their frequent flyer division because obviously there's lots of ups and downs and aviation cyclical but the idea of like selling points to credit card companies or to you know supermarkets or that sort of thing is something that's not quite as cyclical and so Qantas has done even in poor years their frequent flyer program does really well and, and same with Virgins. Yeah. Now one of the things that always amuses me when I'm uh, flying in and out of Australian airports, particularly Sydney and Brisbane and Perth, not so much Melbourne, is that the terminals for domestic and international flying are often on the opposite sides of the airport. Now, can you tell us why that is and, and, and what, airline, what the airports are trying to do to fix that? Traditionally in Australia, international and domestic operations were separated for the biggest carriers. So there was this carrier called Trans-Australian Airlines, um, which had all the domestic routes, and then Qantas had all the international routes, and they were both government-owned for a long time. And then in 1992, the government merged the carriers uh, so that they could float Qantas. Um, but because of that, and because you had different international and domestic airlines, they had different terminals in different places. Right. It's it's and and it's so I find it, it it really odd that it's taken this long for them to 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 merge those two buildings together. Yeah, it's just it's unusual, but culturally Australians are just I guess at this point incredibly used to going to a separate terminal for domestic and international operations. In Perth, uh, Qantas is going to make special arrangements so that there can be an easy transfer from you know, the Melbourne Perth flight to a Perth London flight. Yeah, and and they're building a whole new uh, lounge complex and a new uh, a new international customs facility with some help, of course, from the local and national governments as well, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. And the more modern airports like Canberra and Adelaide have shared domestic and international terminals, and Melbourne's is also much closer. So it's not every airport that has this huge problem, but Sydney, Brisbane, and Perth are probably the worst. Yeah. So I mean, looking back in the last couple of decades. Um, Immediately after 9-11, we saw the collapse of ANSET, right, which used to be Australian's uh, second airline. Um, now, shortly afterwards, Virgin Blue, as was, started to, to really grow to meet that demand. Can you give us a little bit of a potted history as to how those two airlines, um, well, collapsed and then grew? And then the transformation, of course, from Virgin Blue into Virgin Australia. Sure. I mean, ANSET, as you say, it was a sort of the second carrier. It was what Virgin's role now is to Qantas, as ANSET was to Qantas or to TAA, Trans-Australia Airlines, back in the day. Um, but it was run, I guess, toward the end in more of a bloated, sort of inefficient manner. There were a lot, you know, too many fleet types. And then by the very end, they were having financial problems. They were owned by Air New Zealand at the time. And their 767s were grounded for maintenance issues. And in the end, they collapsed on September 12th, 2001. At that time, Virgin had started a few years beforehand. They were a true sort of upstart in the market with Richard Branson coming in to make a splash. But they only had two aircraft when they started, and they were a tiny sort of niche player. But what happened is when ANSET collapsed, that left a lot of terminals empty, and there were extra aircraft around in the market. And Virgin and Qantas, too, were able to take advantage of that, and that really helped build Virgin, which started as Virgin Blue, a low-cost carrier. Yeah, and in terms of passenger experience, what these days is the difference between Virgin and Qantas as you see it? 
There's not a lot of difference in passenger experience, but I would say in terms overall of the rankings of Australian airlines, if you ask most people in terms of which offers the highest to the lowest quality of service, they would probably tell you Qantas is the very highest, then Virgin, then Jetstar, and then Tiger. Uh, Virgin has lounges and they offer food on board, but probably in a bit more of a limited way than Qantas. You get a free snack included with Virgin, whereas if Qantas, if it's a proper meal time, you get a full meal. Uh, both of them have in-flight entertainment that you can you know, download yourself on your tablets. So there's not a huge amount of difference, but I would say Qantas is still seen as slightly more premium. And between them and the low-cost carriers, um, what's what's the real, uh, I guess, the unique selling point of, of the premium airlines compared with the LCCs? So the the lounge access, the frequency, the reliability, the luggage, you know, included in your fare rather than having to pay separate. You know, so the lack of ancillaries at, at the majors compared to the um, Jetstars and the Tigers is pretty obvious. Yeah. Now, Australia is about to get Wi-Fi rolling out basically across both Qantas and Virgin, right? Um, how is that going to change the dynamics of, of the passenger experience market in the country? There hasn't been any Wi-Fi to date, so you literally get on the plane and you, you know, shut it, your phone into flight mode and you can't check your emails even if you're on a four-hour, five-hour flight from Sydney to Perth. So this is going to be quite a big deal in the market, uh, particularly in the business market. Um, one thing that is quite interesting about it is that Qantas is going to offer it for free on all of its aircraft. Um, but Virgin hasn't decided, and they may well put in a pricing scheme. So that, that could be another differentiator between the two airlines. Yeah, and we have Qantas, of course, going with the Viasat-provided uh, service, but over something called the NBN and SkyMuster. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because obviously this is you know, unusual for Viasat um, compared with its US market, where it owns and operates both the satellites and the service. The MBN is the national broadband network in Australia, which the government has been rolling out to ensure that Australians, you know, even across in regional areas, because obviously the population here is incredibly dispersed, um, have reliable access uh, to the internet. And the idea is to leverage off of that, because if you are flying from Sydney to Perth, most of the places you're going over actually don't have ground towers. That's part of the reason you know, why we couldn't set up a US-like Wi-Fi network here before. And so they'll combine the two methods and hopefully make the experience faster for passengers yeah now version of course has gone with gogo um and what's the early response been um you know both airlines are testing at the moment um have you seen any talk within the financial markets that one is looking better than another I really haven't. I mean, both really are at the point where I think they have it installed on one aircraft that's going around. So you've seen limited reports, both took up some journalists and bloggers. Unfortunately, I wasn't on those flights to test it out myself. But I think the feedback for both has been pretty decent. I'm not sure that there'll be a huge difference in service. But again, the pricing thing might make more of a difference. Yeah. And of course, no news yet about rolling them out onto the low cost carriers, correct? That's right. Qantas hasn't ruled out um, rolling it out onto Jetstar. But I think they've basically said that like everything else on Jetstar, if they did roll it out, you'd probably be more likely to have to pay for it than you would on Qantas. Yeah, absolutely. Now, looking at Virgin, of course, um, it's been going through a bit of a rocky patch recently. Um, I guess for the past year or two, as, as far as my feeling is. Um, why is that? Why is Virgin having this, this little bit of a problem? 
it's interesting with Virgin because what they did is, you know, it's unusual. They added costs to their business, I guess, over the last several years when they took the airline from Virgin Blue, the low-cost carrier, and upmarket to Virgin Australia, the premium carrier that wanted to carry corporate passengers and compete with Qantas. And as part of that transformation, they also got very heavily into regional areas and, and trying to get mining customers, which are a huge market in Australia. Um, but then the mining boom ended and they probably found themselves a bit overextended with too many types of aircraft domestically. And so right now they're getting rid of their E-190s and their um, most of their ATR-72s and kind of going back to the basics with the 737. But at a time when demand is pretty weak, that's actually kind of tough because if you take an E-190 off a route, you have to, you know, if you if you don't want to stop flying the route, you have to replace it with a 737, which adds a lot more capacity and, again, is damaging to yields. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now on the long haul, of course, Virgin has just finished refitting its 777s. And those are quite unusual, right? I mean, you've got um, a great seat up front, a BE uh, Super Diamond seat up front, um, premium economy in the middle, but then still nine abreast down the back. Um, as with the ten abreast that most other airlines with 777s are going towards these days. has Do, do people um, place a premium on that, do you think? Um, especially compared with Qantas's A380s on a similar route? I know aviation geeks and those who love the travel industry probably do tend to place a premium on non-abreast, but whether the average person does, I think that's pretty questionable. People advise me on what seat to select, and I do advise them on the nine versus ten abreast, you know, when I talk to friends or family, but they often don't know that sort of level of detail themselves. So I'm not sure that you'd get a huge yield premium for having non-abreast these days. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm, I've not been able to figure out, you know, apart from, you know, offering a decent passenger experience, why, why Virgin went that way without doing the advertising, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, do you think it's it's a, a missed trick by Virgin or do you think it's laying the groundwork for something else in the future or something else? Uh, part of it, though, is, again, as you say, they're competing a lot of times against the A380 with Qantas and those are also pretty comfortable. Uh, and I think most Australians probably still prefer taking Qantas or Virgin to one of the American carriers when they're flying to the U.S. As the U.S. carriers have obviously, you know, improved their products in the last few years, but they still have a pretty terrible reputation among a lot of Australian flyers. In in what way? I guess they were known sort of for their. Um, elderly in some cases, flight attendants and lack of attention to service. In some cases in the past, they were charging for alcohol, which is a no-no among Australians when they fly internationally. So just think little things like that, but there are cultural differences that made them less likely to want to fly on American Airlines. Yeah. Now, of course, we can't really talk about flying internationally from Australia without talking about the uh, very large super jumbo-sized elephants in the room, (laughs) which is Emirates. Right. Yes. Um, now, Emirates linked up with Qantas about what five years ago now, um, in in what felt like a bit of a, a of a U turn by Qantas. I mean, I remember Alan Joyce used to be out there talking about you know big bad Emirates coming in and stealing all of Qantas's money, um, all the way up until they signed that deal. At which point, Emirates could do no wrong, right? Yeah, that's right. I think with Emirates, you have to you have to remember that before that partnership, they had a partnership with BA. That was the joint venture at the time. 
And if you're from Australia and you want to fly to Greece or Italy or Paris, uh, if you do so via London, you end up backtracking from London and making the flight even longer. So it wasn't necessarily ideal to use the UK as sort of a European hub for Australians. And so what they realized then was that Australians were increasingly preferring to fly via Dubai, where you could even go to secondary cities like Nice and those sorts of things direct from Dubai. And, and Qantas realized, I think, that beyond London, there are always going to find it fairly difficult to compete in the European market. And so you're better off to team up with someone who has that capacity for your customers and just focus on the markets that you can win. Yeah. I mean, do you think that that's going to be something that Qantas can continue to win um, on, on the London route? I mean, all in all, this new 787 that Qantas has is is fine, but not not overwhelming, right? Yeah, that's right. I think they're only going to look to fight in a very particular niche. Uh, Qantas as a business tends to focus very, very hard on corporate and premium leisure customers who pay the highest yields. Uh, they're 787s. Uh, you know, they're focusing on having a lot of business class and premium economy seats. And that's what they want to work the hardest to fill. So I think they see that niche of people willing to pay extra to fly nonstop from Perth to London or Sydney to London or Melbourne to London, but that in the long run, they probably really can't compete in that one-stop market. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Now, of course, Virgin also has a partner. It's it's in with, I guess... Uh, the, it has two. <laughs> well, yes, yes, a, a, a bunch yeah, for of Europe. partners. Right, yeah. Um, how, how does that that market... How does that market work for Virgin? Do, do, you, do, do passengers get the choice of flying via Singapore or Abu Dhabi to meet up with Singapore Airlines or Etihad? They do. I mean, I believe there's certain tweaks in which destinations which one offers, but to a lot of main places like London or Paris, you can choose between the two, Singapore and Abu Dhabi. And um, both of those airlines, you know, Singapore and Etihad, are quite well regarded, and so they're popular with customers. Yeah, and then, of course, on the eastbound to the States, uh, Virgin's linked up with Delta, and Qantas linked up with American. How, how does that how does that shake up? Is this basically seen as um, two very similar offerings into the States? Yeah, I think they are seen as quite similar. Um, Qantas withdrew its joint venture um, application with American Airlines at the end of the Obama administration when it was rejected, and they're going to try again. But in general, the idea, they still code share with American, is that American and Delta can best disperse the customers once they fly into Los Angeles or San Francisco or Dallas. And then in return, if you're an American flying into Sydney and you want to go to Cannes, you know, Qantas or Virgin can help handle that leg of things. Right. I mean, do, do passengers see a, a PaxX disconnect, though, between, um, let, let's say you're flying, uh, you're an Australian flying from Sydney to Chicago, and you've got to connect somewhere. Is, is there always that disconnect between the, the, the long haul on Qantas and then the short haul on American or the same thing with Virgin? I think there is, but look, the American airlines have been very fast at improving their products over the last few years. So while there is a disconnect and sometimes you go into a lounge and they ask you to pay for a glass of wine in the United States, and I find that very amusing now that I've lived in Australia so long, um, that at least the American carriers are improving their product to a level closer, but not going to get there with the Australian carriers. Yeah, and I mean, of course, Air New Zealand too um, is is really gunning for the Australian market with what it calls the Pacific Rim strategy, right? 
Yeah, that's right. And they've been running big advertising campaigns here and trying to get people to see Auckland as a good hub to connect in. And if you're not based in Sydney, where there's lots of direct options, Auckland actually is a pretty decent option because Sydney Airport, as we discussed earlier, has this problem where you have to you know, drive or take a train between the domestic and the international terminals, whereas Auckland is much more seamless in terms of an international to international transfer. So if you're sitting in Brisbane and you want to fly to Vancouver, um, well, I guess now Air Canada has a flight there as well, but you can also easily go through Auckland you know, rather than going through Sydney. Yeah, and Air New Zealand has an, a new set of uh, 787s coming online, which look to me to be really aiming at that more premium market, um, which of course also means that it gives a little bit of extra legs as well. Um, so we're going to start seeing some more destinations in the US, people reckon, right? Yeah, that's very possible. A few years ago, when Air New Zealand decided to fly to Houston, they also looked closely at Chicago and Las Vegas at the time. I would think certainly Chicago would be an option to have on the cars, especially because Qantas has talked about ambitions of flying Sydney to Chicago. So if, if you were Air New Zealand, you might want to try and get in first before Qantas has enough 787s to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So in the next few years in, in, in Australia, around both you know the airline business and the passenger experience, what are some of the big things we need to be looking out for? I think we need to look out for Virgin and it, its financial performance has been fairly poor. It has a group of five major shareholders with all with differing aims and differing financial health. You have Singapore, Etihad, H&A, Nanshan from China, and also you know Richard Branson's Virgin Group. So I guess we'll see whether you know, Virgin can keep going on its current trajectory and not need another capital injection. But in the past, you know, when they had this last capital injection, there were questions over whether Etihad would continue to support it. And now Etihad's changing its own strategy. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Virgin. With Qantas, um, they've been kind of going from strength to strength and are expected to report their second best profit ever this year, around $1.4 billion um, before tax. And um, with them, I guess the question is what they do once they start getting these 787s in from later this year, and if they start ordering more of them and they sort of fulfill more ambitions in that area. Yeah, I mean, with, with those 787, so Qantas, I've, I've heard rumours like um, flying from Perth to Frankfurt um, and then doing a um, domestic hop from Perth to Brisbane and then on to uh, onto the States. Now, that, that starts getting super interesting if you've got this sort of set of domestic trunk routes going on between 787 connections. Yeah, that's right. They've talked about Perth-Frankfurt and Perth-Paris. Uh, those are both routes that were sort of among the last that Qantas abandoned in Europe before the Emirates deal, because there is probably the most demand from corporate travelers for Paris and Frankfurt after London. Uh, and, and so it will be very interesting to see how they do that. Um, and, and also what travelers think of these, you know, sort of 17 hour marathon flights from Perth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what's your initial take on that? Uh, well, it depends what kind of traveler you are from the people I've talked to. A lot of business travelers are really happy to sit on a flight even like 20 hours, 21 hours from Sydney to London and get off at the other end and they don't have to worry about any misconnections or, or delays in that, in that end of things like in Dubai. And then um, for premium leisure, or even if you say you have a family emergency, you're a UK expat and your mother's died and you live in Sydney, you need to get on a plane, you probably want to take that direct flight. 
but whether you if you're a parent with young children and you want to do that I, I would kind of question that you might still want to get off in Dubai and and let them stretch their legs or even stay overnight and rest that sort of thing yeah no absolutely I mean I I know when I fly that route I always try and take a, a 24 hours just to decompress and then get get ready for the second flight um, and I think a lot of people, particularly when they're flying on uh, on holiday, are doing that as well these days. I mean, you, you see a lot of a lot of airlines offering. Um, you know, I mean, Emirates, for example, has the device stopover option. Um, my parents flew to Australia uh, at the beginning of this year, and um, they did that, and it was, and they they really appreciated it. It was seamless. I mean, you, you literally walked up to a counter, and they gave you a hotel reservation, put you in the limo, and drove you, you know, round to the hotel. Um, now. If that's what quantity is going up against, um, you know that that starts to become well. Actually, ooh, do I want that? Um, you know that little bit of a uh, little bit of extra relaxing time on my on my upmarket leisure holiday. It's it's a real question, isn't it? It is. I mean, personally, I love stopping in Singapore and Dubai to have a shower. Or once I got a massage at Changi, you know, even if there's only a few hours, I like to walk around. So yeah, it, it will be a challenge. Yeah, I've I've splashed off in that to. Uh, in that pool at uh, Changi Terminal Three, myself—that's that's good fun. Yeah, it is. Now, okay, so Jamie, where can people find you um, after the podcast? You're on Twitter, right? I am on Twitter. Yes, at Jamie underscore Freed. And you'll still be writing for Reuters when you're in Singapore. Yes, I'll be writing full time about aviation, which I'm really looking forward to getting back to doing that. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to reading what you've got to say about the Asian market. That's a, that's a really fascinating one. Uh, definitely. Well, that's it for today's conversation. We certainly hope you enjoyed it, and we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions, or catch me on Twitter. I'm that John, and everything from RGN is found on Twitter at runwaygirl and at runwaygirlnetwork.com. Thanks for listening!